this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 12, our episode in honor of Black History Month about specific challenges that confront non-Hispanic Americans with fatty liver disease. This conversation starts with me asking what steps will be necessary to include a broader subset of non-Hispanic Black Americans in pivotal drug development clinical trials. Donna Cryer suggested the companies developing drugs, particularly Big Pharma, ask more challenging questions of their clinical research organizations, and then suggest that manufacturers and CROs recruit through community organizations that have built up trust in communities that have been taught by history to view clinical trial participation skeptically. Zaki Sharif states that one of his challenges is building NASH awareness among frontline doctors at his community-based institution, so they look for NASH during basic examinations. The rest of the conversation, the group brainstorms solutions to this dual challenge. While non-Hispanic Black Americans are less likely to have fatty liver disease than other ethnic groups, those who do face unique challenges involving the nature of the disease and social determinants of health. This is an important issue for all of us to understand better and to act on more aggressively. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Ani Kardashian. Echoing what everybody said and what Donna has said so eloquently, in some ways we just we don't know what we don't know about African Americans in Nash and NAFLD because they're we're just not including them in our clinical trials. And a lot of the data we have on disparities is in population-based studies like the NHANES or the National Nationwide Inpatient Sample, and not in clinical trials, not in intervention studies where we could actually be seeing we could actually start evaluating the impact of medications and access to care on outcomes. So I'm just going to echo what everyone else has said about how important it is that we we prioritize different racial and ethnic groups in our clinical studies moving forward. That sounds reasonably unanimous, actually, or absolutely unanimous. Question, I guess it leads me to is, what do we see as practical steps to get there and who should be taken? Donna Cryer. Well, I would certainly, since you have a fantastic audience of industry partners who typically listen to this podcast, I would suggest that they ask a lot more questions of their CROs, make a lot more demands of their CROs, commit dollars to increasing capacity for those who have already demonstrated that they can do these work, who can build relationships with HBCUs like Howard, for example, should be receiving a lot more funding for the research they do since they are already of community and have proven to be able to do high quality research. So I would like to start with where's the money and then go follow it to where it goes. And if it goes to places that we know can do this work, who have these relationships, who have a proven track record of building trust with communities that would advance this in a way that it hasn't before. You know, in in some of my past work, I remember bringing both Meharry and Vanderbilt to the table in an initiative and both made contributions that were worthwhile to the effort, but only one would have been otherwise funded and recognized if we hadn't gone the extra mile. That's where I would start with those who are sponsoring studies who are paying for this work, asking that this work be done in a different way. Louise Campbell. I'm just going to follow up on what Donna was saying there and and, and, and particularly her comment earlier about people who look like us, who we want to talk to. There was some very good work done in the Northern Territory in Australia, for example, where they upskilled Aboriginal workers to do Aboriginal care and particularly around about a hepatitis B fibroscan project because there was scepticism as to whether or not the indigenous Australians would accept Fibroscan or whether or not they would take the training. But it did really, really well. And it was, and then it was given 
ongoing funding. That is probably, for me, an area of strength where payers and certainly the funders can look to target to upskill nurses within the demographic of the ethnicities that we're trying to target because it is a strength that they've got. It's about promoting. It also draws me to the Jade Ribbon, which is Southeast Asians driving hepatitis B awareness in their own communities. So you can help drive the awareness within the community that's affected greatest to drive their own motivation in healthcare and get into studies and fight to be part of that because we all have to fight to be part of it if we want to be there. I'd echo exactly what Don is saying on that and getting out there and building the strength in the ethnicity populations that we're particularly targeting in those areas, whether it's Hispanic, whether it's Indigenous Australians, whether or not it's African-Americans, the communities themselves can be strengthened. We have lots of healthcare practitioners from all of those communities that are affected. So using those strengths and using that training is a great resource that we've got. Stephen Harrison. Yeah, just let me ask Donna this. International Nash Day, how do we target disparities in healthcare? and this particular issue on NASH Day? I think International NASH Day is a fantastic platform to get people's attention on everything important about NASH, and this certainly is. I know one of the ways that we will do that is in a panel that we're doing in collaboration with the Association of Black Gastroenterologists and Hepatologists, speaking directly to this issue. But we still have a, a, a few tweaks to the planning that I'd be happy to uh, have, your, have your thinking about. One aspect of International NASH Day in 2022 that we are shifting on with fingers crossed that the COVID environment will allow us. This year will certainly be hybrid and we are working with our many, many community partners inside the U.S. and outside to see where they can collaborate more closely with their communities to do the type of need assessments and build the type of relationships that we are hoping that education and screening and a lot of other things can bloom from to our earlier conversation. But happy to talk more as we lock in the program for 2022. I think that'd be great. And then maybe for Dr. Sharif, you know, you guys do a ton of colon cancer screening, I'm sure at Howard, in this population. Any thought given to prospectively evaluating the patient's livers when they come in for routine colon cancer screening? You have a a population that's already there wanting to learn their colon health. So, you know, fiber scan or blood-based biomarkers, some sort of non-invasive assessment. Yeah, you see, the problem we have Zaki Sharif. Even among the physicians on our staff is that even the awareness of NASH and NAFLD is so, so low. Even during routine uh, examination of liver diseases or chronic liver diseases, or the viral aspects of the disease are on the top uh, uh, list of the examination protocol, the alcohol aspect of it and what have you. And then not necessarily sometimes the co-founders may be uh, trickling into that uh, kind of thought, but awareness is our biggest obstacle right now. Uh, physicians do not really give it a high kind of visibility. And that also, we have to go down to the community and also create awareness like Donna was saying this Nash day may really impact a lot of the community members if they are made aware of that more than the colorectal cancer screening to answer your question uh, dr. Harrison is that I did a bariatric study looking at those because we have a wellness Institute at the hospital wellness and weight reduction Institute is what it's called I, I believe and uh, these bariatric patients that are coming in in their 40s well to do especially about 80% or so of them are women 
abdomen. And uh, the surgeons that actually conduct this uh, removal of the fat and what have you in the abdomen area, actually, they always see a lot of fat deposit on the liver. It's only when I approach them, if we can do some kind of collaborative work, that they open that door to me, even though they're still very busy handling all this. Uh, there are only two surgeons in, in that uh, capacity. So the collector screening, you know, finding maybe some aspect of fatty liver there, more so when we do the open abdominal surgery for removal of the fat in bariatric surgery is when really those patients that come in for that surgery actually have all these comorbidities, hypertension, we're talking about essential hypertension, we're talking about hyperlipidemia, hypertriglyceridemia, uh, you know, the obesity, of course, is one factor there. And then we find out this all this gastric bypass and what have you do not necessarily reduce those comorbidities after a while, maybe temporary resolution, but not a consistent or uh, lasting resolution. So it's not just the awareness aspect of it, but also the dimension of the examination is not necessarily reflecting that. And then we really have a lot of work ahead of us. And uh, I think it's uh, not just restricted to Howard University Hospital, but all over. I also adjunct professor at Georgetown University. Georgetown University, of course, has the liver transplantation. And then they have a similar population to ours, but still the um, awareness is, is not big enough. So we can fix the awareness part. If you'll set up a grand rounds for me, I'll be happy to come up there and educate your physicians on fatty liver disease. And then the other comment about, you know, the, the bariatric surgery population is a, is kind of a enriched population for fatty liver, right? The nice thing about a colon cancer screening population is you get a wide swath of the population. You're getting lean African-Americans, you're getting obese, you're kind of getting the full gamut. That's where I think you can get really impactful prevalence data. But anyway, I'd be happy to come up there. Absolutely. That's why we need, we have this kind of session as yeah. we you know, collaborate and we exchange uh, ideas and there you know, go. To invite you over. Absolutely. Yes. Definitely. I'm happy to have you in DC here, Stephen. You know, I was also thinking that the, the key barrier would not be so much awareness, but hospital throughput and adding time to the colonoscopy. And I have one scheduled on Friday, so I'm very, very mindful of it. And from a patient point of view, I don't think you'd mind. We're, we're woozy. We haven't eaten. Like, we don't care what we do, what you do. And so doing a quick fiber scan would be no problem. But I'm also on the hospital board. And so as I look through our throughput numbers for our outpatient surgery, I think that's where you get the pushback. And so I think if we can design the study and figure out how to be as efficient as possible, maybe as part of, well, the patients are waiting or, you know, something like that. I think it's an intriguing idea because I was going to talk about the studies that had done liver biopsies in, in patients being prepared for bariatric surgery. And I certainly think that not an invasive testing of, of, of the liver for every bariatric surgery candidate should be just baked into the process. But I do love the evening effects of the colonoscopy. But if we can get the throughput right, then I think that we can have a winner. So we're rolling through the bottom of the hour. I want to ask Annie a question first, then I think we go to the last question. And so, Annie, sitting in Los Angeles County Hospital, right? You know, big city, all that around you. What in this conversation aligns best with what you see when you work there? And what do you see as challenges and the opportunities? Yeah. So, you know, our population at LA County is primarily a Latinx and African-American cohort, really. So we are seeing a lot of people who don't have access to housing, don't have health insurance. So we, we really treat an uninsured population, you know, as a community, as a GI and liver division are really trying to focus our efforts on starting clinical trials and really just studying the natural history of liver disease in populations that have like historically not 
COVID study, like our patients that we see at Los Angeles County Hospital. I think a lot about what you all are saying about just trying to figure out ways when patients are actually coming in for procedures or are seeing the healthcare system, are engaging with the healthcare system to use those as opportunities to then sort of efficiently, um, I'm not saying collect data, but efficiently gather information about a lot of sort of the social factors that they are seeing and they're experiencing, and then also figure out how in those opportunities or in those encounters to also enroll patients in clinical trials and intervention studies. And we're, we're trying to do a little bit of that now. And, you know, I'll just speak to like, for example, some of the work that I'm doing with food insecurity, we're just based off of the research that we've done so far. We're now starting to, and I'm starting to screen my patients for food insecurity in clinic. And we'll have our nutritionists do that as well. And I think the next steps are, you know, not just recognizing this as a problem, but then figuring out for those who are most vulnerable, who are experiencing food insecurity, how do we then connect them to community resources, like access to food banks or healthy eating programs. We now have a, our nutritionists have a healthy eating voucher that they provide to patients who need it. And those are the ways that we could really intervene is by using our encounters with the healthcare system to really start asking questions about social determinants and figuring. And then from there, identifying patients who are at very high risk and connecting them to community resources and, and community partnerships. So I think it goes back to, you know, sort of community engagement. But the first step is really as providers, and I'm, a, you know, I, I work and I see patients every day. How do I first recognize those who really need these resources? And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week with Jorn Schottenberg, Ian Rowe, and first-timer Chris Estes, epidemiologist and fatty liver disease modeler at the Center for Disease Analysis Foundation. Our topic, the public health value of conducting fatty liver screening at community-based sites. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.